Matthew 25, love where you live. And uh, this morning we're going to continue on. We started out with an observation um, that there are a number of places in Scripture where there just seems to be this heightened uh, urgency. Jesus calls his followers around him, and, and there's these concentrated spots and spaces where Jesus kind of leans in to his followers. It's like if you have a, have a kid and they're doing something and you have something important to tell them, you're like, hello, pay attention right here. Uh, no, 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 don't, don't worry about the Legos. Look at me right now. And it's like Jesus, on a number of occasions, he presses in to his followers and there are these concentrated beams of light that he reveals his heart with them. The first one we shared a couple of weeks ago is the great commandment. Here, uh, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus, and, and he's surrounded, uh, Jesus is surrounded by his followers, and this teacher of the law comes up and says, Jesus, cut to the chase. What is the, the cream of the crop when it comes to the commands? In the law of, of Moses, what is the top of the heap? Uh, would you tell me? Come on. And Jesus says in Matthew 22, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And all your mind, this is the first and greatest command. This is that one concentrated place where Jesus presses in and goes, this is it. And so, ever since, we as, as Christ followers have been focused on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is a, a priority for us. And then there's another focused beam of light. There's another place where Jesus presses in and he, he talks to his disciples and and. We jump ahead to this, and it's what we call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he goes on to say, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. This is another place where Jesus, in sending his disciples, he says, this is important. So we have the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then we are to go and make disciples. Mark, in his gospel, he says, go and preach the gospel to all the nations. And so we as good Christ followers, good Christians in our, in our culture, we get these two things, and this is almost what we've been wired to do. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and minds, and go and make disciples. Love God, make disciples. Love God, make disciples. And it's this, this over and over thing that we, we keep going through. Love God, go and preach. Love God, go and make disciples. It's this modern-day version of what Jesus was calling us to do. And now I don't know about you, but for me as a young person growing up in church, this was, was something that was just really nailed into me. Love God, do your, your due devotion to God, and make it count by going and telling people. Make it count by going and, and preaching the gospel. It was almost this, this forceful... Um, tone to it. So much so that it, it almost felt like it was this, this um, modern day version of an Old Testament prophet. 
where the, the job I was supposed to do and the rest of us as Christ followers were supposed to do was to go into our communities around us to the pagans, to those who didn't know Christ, and we were to expose sin. We were supposed to point at all of the places where they weren't adding up to what God wanted them to do and call them to repent of those things and turn their life to Christ. Wasn't that a feel-good message? Repent, repent, repent. You know, it's, it's, it's like the Old Testament prophets calling on God's people and going, you know what, you guys have got away from God. Fix your life up and get back with Him. It was almost like that was the tone in which I was to go and make disciples or we were called to go and make disciples. Love God, make disciples. Love God, make disciples. And this is that, that church culture that many of us grew up in. And it came across as very disingenuous, uncaring and unloving, almost arrogant and prideful, maybe even hypocritical at times. But this was truly the practice of Western Christianity. I believe in, in many churches and in many uh, Christian circles, this is still the practice here we are called to love God and go preach the gospel. And the, the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples had this air of arrogance and pride attached to it. Not to take away from those other instructions, but in all this we miss something. We talked about the, the great commandment, love the Lord your God. We talked about the great commission, go and preach the gospel. But if you notice, we missed something. And I brought this up two weeks ago. I believe that when we jump into that, that, that portion of Scripture where the, the, the teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest? We hear part A, but we miss part B. And if you know what part B is... You get what I'm getting at. You see, Jesus says, here, the first law and the most important law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what does he say next? He says there's a, a second part to this, but it's not lesser, it's equal. What does he say? He says this command, the second command is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You notice this says equally important there that Jesus uses this word. Uh, it, well, our, I guess, equivalent would be would be homogenous. These two things are equal. There's no difference. If you look at them, they are the same thing. They are of the same substance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. It's not, here's the prominent one, and here's the lesser one. No, Jesus is saying these two have equal weight. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And what have we missed in Western Christianity and Western culture? Faith that got us to the point where we missed or considered that second, that second part as lesser or insignificant. And this is what this series, Love Where You Live, is all about. This is what we are focused in on in this series. How do we live this out as Jesus would have us live this out? You know, in, in middle school, um, I was asked to be a part of a, a kind of a leadership committee. It was, it was kind of like a student council, but not really. It was... Um, <sighs> 
I was going to say it was for gifted and talented, but I wasn't gifted and I wasn't talented. But uh, I was asked to be a part of this small group of peers, and we were brought into this room with a teacher, and, and we were talking about leadership things. We were talking about uh, uh, you know, our peers. We were talking about how we can be examples. And I, once again, I have no clue why I was in that room. But um, we went through this one exercise, and you've probably been through an exercise like this. The teacher got up there, and she handed out some sheets, and she said this. She says, okay, pretend that you are on a cruise ship in the Caribbean. And we're all like, yes. And the cruise ship lights on fire. It catches on fire, and we're all, no. Uh, and and the, the cruise ship is going to sink. And in your hand, you have a sheet, and it is listed there the items that are on the cruise ship. Now, you're going to have to abandon ship and swim over to this, this, um, this island that has nothing on it. It's just this deserted island, and you're going to be able to swim over, but you can take three items off of the ship with you. What are you going to take? And I'm like, I need all of this. I need all of this. Uh, you know, you might have heard this story, heard this exercise in a number of different uh, ways and means, but this is one that was shared to me. You have this list of things, but you have to decide what is the most important. You know, on that list, you have a fishing rod, you have a, um, you have a first aid kit, you have a life raft, um, you have a steak dinner, you have, you know, all these things. Um, uh, you know, some are beneficial and some are good, you know, I think another one back then, it was like a, a video game system, and you know, it listed all these things. And the tendency is to go, okay, I want to take my video game system, and I want to take a steak dinner, and, like, and then, then common sense overtakes you, and you go, no, maybe I ought to take something, and you start thinking about what is important, and what you should do, and what you should take, and how you would react well, I believe this, these weeks that we're in right now is a good opportunity for us as a church to go through a similar process of what is important to us. What are those things? If we had to decide, and when it comes right down to it, what is important? There's a time in life where you have to determine, and you have to identify, and you have to decide what's important. What are you living for? What is your guiding beacon? What's your north star? What is it that, that defines you and forms you and, and guides you through your day? And this is true in life. It's true in relationships, in dating, in marriage. It's true in our education. It's true in business. It's, it's true in all aspects of our lives. You've heard it said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, how do you keep the main thing, the main thing, if you don't know what the main thing is? You can quote me on that, and that's free. You know, how do you keep the main thing, the main thing, if you don't know what the main thing is? You can't. You have to decide. And in a world where it's like, hey, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and little, you know, you don't have to go far to find someone who's being nudged one way in one minute, and one way the next minute, and here, and here, and here, and you're just like, what do you believe in? What do you stand for? What's important? And so for us as a church, I believe it's, it's good for us to do the same. Well, I have to say that, that we're blessed at Crossroads. Because since day one, we've had a well-defined explanation of what's important to us. A well-defined North Star. You don't have to go far around here to hear the phrase, everyone matters. Since day one, that has been important. And, and what do we mean when we say everyone matters? We don't just mean, well, okay, everyone matters, and, you know, 
hey, great job. No, everyone matters because we believe everyone is created in the image of God and everyone is important to God. And if God's important to us, everyone's important to us. It's logical, but it's true. Everyone matters places a high value on each and every single person. It's not, hey, everyone matters just because you do certain things. You know, another really guiding light for us is you are loved. You came in this morning, you pulled on a door handle. It said right next to the door handle, you are loved. Uh, from time to time, we put out some big signs out at, the, out at the, the road. It says, you are loved. You notice it doesn't have a list beside it. It says, you are loved if you, you know, drive under the speed limit in the school zone. Or you are loved if you wear the right clothes or if you have enough money in your bank account. Or, you know, there's no you are loved if. It's just you are loved. And we're proud to put that sign out there because it's true. And there's no list beside it. There's no, there's no qualifying beside it. If you are a li- living, breathing human being, you are loved and you matter. Why? Because you matter to God and therefore you matter to us. It's a guiding life for us. It's, it's top of the heap for us. When we get a little deeper, we talk about becoming engaged and empowered followers of Christ. We talk about our connection to the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ and this relationship that we have and that He empowers us through His Holy Spirit to do what we need to do in life, to accomplish what He's called us to. So when it comes down to the main thing here at Crossroads, we're blessed because that's been well-defined for us for a number of years. Really, since day one. Yet it's always good to reevaluate. It's always good to reaffirm those things that we believe in. You know, like Jonathan last week, he was I love the, the picture. You know, it, it doesn't do us any good to just think about it and pat ourselves on the back. Hey, good thing you th- Hey, we put a great sign out by the road. Woo! Yes. What does it mean? Are we living that out? And as we evaluate what's important, it's good to evaluate how well we're doing. You see, we're on a journey to become a church that knows what matters most and does what matters most. You know, I I guess I could draw it something like this. We're on this journey to become a church that God wants us to be. We're on this this journey to become a church and to become a people who God wants us to be. And yet, you know, there, there, along the way, there are a number of things that, that can distract us, and, and all entirely good things. You know, for some of uh, you know, attending church, it's an important thing. Attending this Sunday morning service, it's a great thing, but I tell you, it's not the main thing. Is that something that becomes the main thing instead of what God wants to be the main thing? Maybe it's participating in a life group. Maybe it's becoming a member of the church. Maybe it's, it's serving in some capacity, and that becomes our focus and our goal rather than what the main thing truly is and what God wants us to do. And can I tell you what I believe the main thing for us is? We've already talked about everyone matters, but let me tell you what our goal is and what our target is, that everyone would know God loves them. That's not the hardware store there. Even though it looks like it. (laughs) 
I'd erase it, but it would probably look the same if I did it again. That, that people around would know that God loves them. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what church is all about? I even kind of hesitate in saying that. Like, it makes it sound like this institution is what makes it happen. No. But this is where we're heading. And I don't want these other things to, to become the main thing when the main thing is letting other people know that God loves them. This is what we're called to do and we're called to be as a church. So we've talked about the great commandment. We've talked about the great commission. But I believe in Matthew 25, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 25, there's, there's another focused beam of light that, that Jesus presses in with his, his followers and he reveals his heart. You see, all through this, this section, this last section of, of Matthew Jesus is, is talking about the kingdom of God and, and it living within us. It just isn't this far off place. We talked about it in our men's group on Thursday about his kingdom come on here on earth as it is in heaven and that, that it makes a difference in our lives but also in the lives of those around us. We sang that song a little while ago. When he walks into the room, well, how is he going to walk in the room? He walks in the room in us and through us. That's how it happens. It's not just this room here. It's when we go, where we go. It's blessed are those, the feet of them who bring good news. The steps you take, the places you go, the people you interact with, the people whose lives you touch, His kingdom at work in you and through you changes the atmosphere around you. This is what takes place. And so all in this, this last section of the book of Matthew. This is what Jesus is talking about. He lands in Matthew 25 in what some call the great compassion. And we're going to read a little bit here, but I want you to follow along in verse 31. Jesus gives a little bit of a, a parable. It's not really a parable, but this is what he says. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? And feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Take a look at verse 41. Then the king will turn to those on his left. These are the unrighteous ones. And he will say, away from you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his, and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will, they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. 
When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You see, what Jesus was addressing here was more than what I thought when I was a kid, more than what I thought when I was a a teenager, more than I thought than when I was a young adult. What he was talking about is, is at times more than what I think even in the course of my day. Because what we get believing, what I was wired to believe as a kid, what I was wired to believe as a, as a young person, as a young adult, is that what I do is what pleases God and gets me the prize. The things that I do are the things that put a smile on God's face and make me acceptable to God and win me the prize. And so what do we do? We go through life. How can I do better? How can I be a better person? How can I I, uh, please God more? How can I get a smile on God's face? Boy, God seems to be grumpy today. I need to work harder. This is kind of the the image of, of, of Christianity and faith that you might not have, but I certainly did. How can I just be a better person and do better things? And how can the the chart on my life or the scales on my life, how can the good outweigh the bad? Because if I do more of what is good and less of what is bad, then it's going to put a smile on God's face and it's going to get me to the prize, and that is eternal life in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? But can I tell you, in reality, what Jesus was talking here is something that looks much different and it looks like this. And that is a changed and transformed heart under the blood of Jesus Christ is what gets us to the prize. Okay, now you're probably saying, okay, I understand that. That's great. Amen. Yes, go pastor. Where does the doing fit into all this? Can I tell you simply this, that doing is a byproduct of a changed and transformed heart. It's not what makes you acceptable in God's eyes. It's a changed and transformed heart. I want you to take a look at that story we just read. He's got, so you got the the scene here, and I'm not going to say which side's the left and which side is the right, because to me it's different than you. So I'm not, I don't want you to look at the other side of the sanctuary and say, hey, yeah, you're the goats and we're the sheep. No. Okay. So, but here it is. Okay. You got one side and the other side and, and, you know. Father is going, the king is going, hey, these are the good people and these are the bad, or these are the good people and these are the bad. These are in, these are out. These, you know, he's separating. I want you to take a look at the righteous ones. Did the righteous ones step up and go, yes, we did. And doggone it, we got a good list to show you. Evidence of this comes in the form of the righteous response to Jesus. Did you pick it up? The righteous asked, when did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you? They weren't doing to please God. It was a changed and transformed heart and the byproduct was doing. They did it out of changed nature. How many of you believe that when, when we surrender our lives to Christ and, and we, we give our hearts to Him, 
And we say, you know what, enough of me. I'm not doing a very good job. I'm giving it over to you. How many of you know that, that, that our nature is gone, our old nature is gone, and we take on us a new nature, and that is a redeemed and regenerated heart that is a heart given to us and blessed by Jesus himself. That's what takes place. And that's what this group was doing. They were acting and doing out of a changed and transformed heart. I find that stunning. When did we see you? When did we? You see, if it was just a do thing, it would be a, hey, yeah, hey, I got my list here. But we don't see that. It was simply out of response of what God had done through his son Jesus. They were living it out and they weren't really aware of it. You see, it's all about an encounter with God. Heaven here on earth, kingdom of God here at work in us and it changes the atmosphere. It changes us and it changes the environment around us. See, Paul talks about this byproduct of faith, byproduct of living in the Spirit. We did a series a year, year and a half ago about the war of wills. The flesh at war with the Spirit. The Spirit at war with the flesh. And, and Paul says in Philippians 5, he says, the life uh, that's living according to the flesh has, a byproduct, has, has byproducts that are consistent with the life that's lived in the flesh. And you can read that list in, in Philippians 5. You go on a little further and he says, the, but the, the life that is the surrender and is living according to the Spirit of God, there's, there's a byproduct altogether different. We know it as the fruit of the Spirit. He says the byproduct of a, of a life of faith lived by the, uh, controlled by the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's a byproduct of a heart that's surrendered transformed and changed by the Spirit of God. You see, crossroads, this is the main thing. When we talk about loving where we live, when we talk about the most important thing, the main thing, this is what I'm talking about. It's not about doing. It's not about these sheets on the back of the wall of the sanctuary. It's not about accomplishing a task. It's about surrendering our lives to Him and having a changed and transformed heart. That is the focus. That is the goal. And out of that flows powerful ministry. I'm inviting our, our uh, worship team to come on up. We're going to close in a moment. Um, most of you have one of these in your, in your pocket or in your purse. And, you know, I got thinking about this. How does this apply? How does this, um, you know, what's a picture that... We can all wrap our minds around. And I, I, I got thinking about my cell phone. And about how sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll be waiting for an important call. I'm expecting an important call. This, this happened this week. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. I was sitting there and I would called someone and, and, and I was expecting their call back. It was urgent. I needed to talk to them. I put it in my back pocket and I don't have it on ring. Um, I learned that lesson a long time ago when, um, uh, a long story, but anyways, I, I keep it on silent. And so I, I put it in my pocket and it, it buzzes. But I got talking uh, to Mindy or someone else in the office here. I got talking. I started walking back to my office. And I looked at the phone. I'd missed a call. You ever done that? 
You know, maybe you put, throw it in your purse and three hours later you pick it up. Oh, yeah, I missed like 17 calls. I got thinking about that is, is we're asking God to speak and to lead us and to guide us. And we're expecting him to do that and yet we put the phone in our back pocket and we miss what he wants to say to us and he wants us to lead us to. And the best way I can put it is this heart after God, this changed and transformed heart is a posture. And I don't want to condone this on a, on a regular basis with your phone, but it's, it's sitting there waiting. You know, we're expecting God to speak. We're expecting him to, to direct us and lead us and guide us. And can we have this posture with God rather than this? You know, rather than tucking it away and looking at it three days later and going, huh, well, missed an opportunity. I don't know how many times you've done that. You've, you've got through your week and you've looked back in your week and you've gone, oh, man. And the Holy Spirit just kind of enlightens and opens up that area that he wanted you to move, and it's that, like that missed call. So my prayer is that over these weeks, our, our antenna would be up, our, our hearts would be open to hear from Him. And the focus through this would not be the do. Can, can we just steer away from that? Can we clear the, the deck from the do? And let the do function and happen out of a heart for Him. That's first and foremost. If we get the jobs done and miss Him, it's been for nothing. We've done some great things in the community and, and believe me, I believe God can redeem even that. But at the same time, we've missed, I truly believe, what He wants to do. Because this isn't an event that happens on just on October 14th and then we never uh, do it again or we never live it out. I'm inviting you to do it and live it out each and every day of your life. Just like my neighbor in Illinois, an older gentleman, a, a crotchety old guy, uh, getting on in his years. and He's that one guy on the block that everyone talks about. Oh yeah, him, his yard, his, you know. Kids had to walk down the block to get to the bus. And in the winter in Illinois, you got snow up to your, up to your shoulders. And he was the one dude who didn't shovel his walk. You're like, for the love, just shovel your walk. And so we were all mad at my neighbor. And I got thinking, you know what? That's not, that's not the posture I believe God wants me to have. And so I went over and met him. I found out that, that he was having health problems and they'd lived, they were probably one of the first ones in the neighborhood. And as everyone else had moved away and all these young families came in, they were kind of the, the old couple and Nobody really talked to them or paid much attention to them. Come to find out his wife was having heart problems and she wasn't able to get out and do things. And, and their world was just kind of becoming smaller and smaller and they weren't able to. You know what I started to do? I just felt that I needed to start shoveling his walk. And then I needed to start trimming his lawn. He'd get out on his, his riding mower a little bit and but trimming around the edges, it wasn't easy for him. And I just started doing that. Instead of seeing him as an adversarial neighbor who was trying to make my life difficult, I started to see him as a person created in the image of God who was struggling. And I believe this is just an example 
of what God wants to do in your life and continue to do in my life. You know, it's funny because uh, as winter turned to spring and spring turned into summer, you know, he'd get out and walk out to his mailbox and I'd be out in my front yard, you know, mowing or weeding or things like that. And he'd, he'd call over and he'd say, hey, Darren, let me know if you need anything. I can, I'm like, yeah, it's a sentiment. Even if, I, even if I had something for him, he probably wouldn't have been physically able to. But we were friends. And it was just a simple opportunity of showing the love of Jesus. And it was right under my nose and I'd missed it for a number of months and a number of years before that. But can we have that attitude and that, that, that posture of just, Lord, where, what do you want to speak to me? And when you speak, I want to listen and I want to be quick to respond. So let's stand. And I'm inviting our altar team up to the front. We're going to dismiss in just a moment here.